Amen. Well, good morning, and if we haven't met before, uh, just say hi. Grab my arm, and uh, I'd love to say hi before you leave. I'd like to start with another story this morning and then give it some context. Um, we do want to start to talk an extended summer focus on prophecy and the prophetic. And I want to start with a little story. I, I dug up an old book that had been, I don't know, if, I don't remember being given this book by Steve Thompson on the prophetic, but I did see our former pastor's name in it, so I might have stolen it from his library. So I had a little moment of repentance there. If, how many people in the house are really good at stealing books from people? It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a non-spoken spiritual gift. If you, all you got to do, you go to your bookshelf at home and start flipping through books, and you're going to see people's names in them that aren't yours. That means you're a dirty thief that doesn't give books back to your pastor. And I, I couldn't stand those people. Oh, he gave it to you? Okay, thank God. I was actually carrying some real condemnation and shame this morning because I pride myself on not being that guy. And I looked at the front of the book, and I'm like, I stole this book. And I have judged so many people that stole my books as pastor. So I don't give out books very often. If, uh, I would rather buy you the book than lend you one of my books. And, or if I'm giving you the book, just so you know, if I'm giving you this book, it means I didn't like it. So, so just a little info about me. All right. So and if you ever see my name in one of your books, okay. Enough of that. So I've, I got this book, and I was reading through it again. And, and I love the story that, that, that Steve Thompson started with. And it was uh, essentially he's, he's trying to train people in, in prophecy and the prophetic. And he starts with this story where this man named Matt that was super shy and not confident at all and even praying for people, let alone as he prayed, feeling any confidence that God was speaking through him and, and trying to give that kind of, of, of prayer to somebody else. Um, but eventually he, he built up and he, he eased in and he hungered after this, this gift that we'll talk about called prophecy. And, and then there was this time where he was praying over this, this couple and this woman. And he, he started sharing about how he had felt um, he was seeing kind of something about a son who had drifted away. And, and I can't remember the exact ways that he stated it. But, but he said that God has his hand on your son. And he gave something of the unction of that it's not your fault. And the woman weeps and weeps and weeps. And she had had this adult son who had drowned after a season of drifting away from the family in a broken relationship. And she just wasn't sure where, his, where he was at, where his spiritual state was at. She just, they weren't sure where their relational state was at. And she was carrying so much guilt, so much shame, so much condemnation on her own self about what she could have done, should have done, and, and what she carried as, as what part of this did she have the player could have, could have played. And in just one moment, someone praying for her with the breath of God attached to it released her of years of heaviness in a moment. I don't think that woman, regardless of how she may or may not have experienced any negative dynamics with the gift of prophecy in her maybe church experiences. I don't think she will ever say anything but high praises to the importance of that gift in the body. But the reality is so much of the church has, has removed the gift of prophecy or hasn't quite known what to do or been so safe with it because of abuses, because of the ways it's hurt people. As, as soon... Let's get on. Let's get on. But as, as the reality is, is that because of ways that the prophetic has hurt people, if you are praying for someone and you say, I feel God is saying this, and that doesn't turn out well, that can have a lot of damage on someone. And so we want to start with this, this mentality as we're going to spend a summer, or at least half a summer, on this topic. But we're taking it from a place where we realize it's priceless, it's significant, and not only that, we're actually we're missing out on something that Jesus has said is an absolutely vital aspect of being a follower of him. And we cannot strengthen the world out there if we sever ourselves from the voice that is supposed to be sustaining us. If we know God, if we consider ourselves people of prayer, that exchange in conversation with God, we have to be a prophetic people. And we have to separate the dynamic of being a, a prophet in the office of prophet. And we're not even going to focus much on that, to be honest. 
We're going to focus on in the same way that, that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And to sit in what we might call like the office of those things. Not a single one of us would say, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I, I never have to share my faith. Or I'm not a pastor, so I never have to see someone broken and take on the heart of a shepherd and make sure they're okay. No one would ever say that, right? So don't compare yourself to somebody else. Receive the invitation that because you are a follower of Jesus, you have access to be a prophetic person. And if we take on that posture, I think we'll start to make ground at building a prophetic culture. And that starts with tapping into the language of God. Anyone can tell somebody else, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you. But have you ever told someone that because you could just feel they needed to hear it in that moment? And that simple word of, I love you, and it just hits them? Or if you've told someone God loves you, and you've just done it like, we've all known like maybe a pastoral person say, hey, God loves you. Or you see that someone on the street, God loves you. And it's like, yeah, that's nice. But then you have a moment. And someone walks to you across the other side of the room and just says, hey, yeah, as we were hanging out, I just felt like I was supposed to come up and tell you that God loves you. I've had that happen a few times. I, I think I told the story over the summer. I was running here in Pasadena, um, actually really close, right in front of the Rose Bowl mansion, uh, right beside it. And, and some guy that I barely saw, I think was getting out of a pickup truck, uh, I got my headphones on, all of a sudden I hear him go, hey, you're super loved, big guy. And I kept running because I didn't think it was for me, and then I realized, like, that was for me. <laughs> and, and then, like, as I kept running, I, I, my eyes started welling up with tears going like, what are the odds that that guy loves Jesus? And I, I decided by the end of my run, like 138% that that guy loves Jesus, right? <laughs> and and, and I, what I loved about it is I was reflecting, because I'm in reflection mode. Do any of you, like, I have my deepest thoughts on my runs, right? And so it, it just started welling up. I Thank God I had, I probably had a, no, I never run with a mask. Uh, I didn't have a mask on, but I had sunglasses on, which can, I, I often cry when I'm running, and I don't care because it looks like sweat. It's amazing. Um, and and so, so it just looks like I'm doing a better job with my run than I am. I actually can barely work up a sweat anymore because my, my capacity is so low. But um, I was I was just just thinking about it. Like man, all that guy said was that I'm super loved. He didn't even say God, and something in my spirit knew that guy knows God, and he gave me something just by just by passing. And saying something with the breath of God on it. I'll never forget that. And then I realized how much I needed that. The heart of the prophetic is being able to pick up on what God is like. And what he's saying. And what he's already said. Seeing someone that might need comfort, strength, or encouragement. Or just assuming that they do. And releasing it. That's it. That's all it is. If we can start there, live our entire lives with that conviction, we might get the big words that change broken moms. You may be, you may be a privilege to, to share something that changes the trajectory of somebody's life. Uh, you, may, you may get to prophesy over a mayor or over somebody really important, and God doesn't care. Because he's always speaking, and he, already, he always cares about the one. He only is inviting you to pick up on his language, his language of love, and to release it by strengthening, encouraging, and comforting other people. That's the heart of it. So how it started for me, I grew up in a very, uh, I would, I would kind of say, like, uh, relatively healthy Christian church environment. My parents became believers when I was, like, four, three or four. And then I followed it soon after as a little tyke. And then we, we were very healthy, Bible-believing background, but the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were not super commonplace. Uh, after Sue and I got married, this was something that I was kind of uh, leaning into a little bit. Um, then we went to like a little mini, I don't know if it was a conference, it was like 30 people, <laughs> like in a weeknight, two or three days in a row. And some of the people were super weird. 
I still remember some, some guy from the South telling me that I should only read the King James Bible, and I got, like, super offended at him. Uh, but then I was also kind of, I actually would just say, I just kind of brushed aside everything he had to say. But I really liked what some of the other people had to say. And then there was just prayer and ministry time. And, and, uh, and then I, I started to, to just get some prayer from this, like, sweet little old lady. And, and she started praying in a way that's just like, I'm not used to this kind of prayer. It's, it's like she's not just praying her, her feelings. It's like she's actually kind of trying to be some kind of in between God and me. And, and she's, she's not like telling me like my address and things like that, but she's, she's going in and, and blessing me with prayers that like she doesn't know me. How does she know like that, that the stuff she's getting into means so much? And all of a sudden, like, like, you know, I start sweating from my eyes again and I didn't have sunglasses on and I didn't care. And, and I'm, I'm just on the ground. I'm convicted. I feel loved. And, and like all of a sudden, I just feel like there's like a whole realm, a whole world of my spiritual life that I kind of like, this is the stuff that I, I read about in the Bible that, I, that wasn't normal. And I go, could this be normal? Could this be the normal way that I pray? And I think there's some of us in the room that we've had this be maybe somewhat normal at stages of our life. And maybe you're in a dry season, or maybe you've just forgotten that, that you actually do hear from God, and that there's people in your life that would appreciate some encouragement. I want, I want to invite us into a season to press into a fresh season for yourself and for us. We need each other to do this together. We need to take this to another level. And I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians 14. Go there. It's a very well-known um, passage on this. And I, I want us with this uh, on Thursday nights, what we're going to do this summer is on Sundays, we're going to be touching on things on Sunday mornings. But we want to go deeper on Thursdays. Uh, we realize not everybody's going to be able to come. But if you can come and you're not planning to come, would you? Would you make this summer a, a pointed point? And if you can't, would you make sure that you are on the same page with us? That you're saying, Father, is there any way that I can press in to the culture of your voice speaking and using me? And can I reset my life afresh in this community, in this family? Despite all the ways that this subject has been abused and manipulated and misused throughout all church history. And can we together covenant that we are going to go after this? That we're going to make room for there to be mistakes, but mistakes within a safe, a safe environment. Mistakes where it's like our mistakes can't go maybe what you've heard mistakes can go to because we are committed to doing certain things in a certain way. And we'll, we'll use scripture as our riverbanks to do that well. But, but can we invite an environment where we're also saying that I'm going to take a little bit of a risk to reset my life towards this. I'm going to not just want to learn how to be like a ministry team, and yet we want to invite everybody to get trained and be part of a ministry team. But can I start to think, how can I constantly be listening for the voice of God in the mundane? Because if we don't do the mundane, no one's going to care about the big words. Have you ever had someone try to give you like a life-changing word from God and you're like, it's really hard to, to receive from them because I know their character. <laughs> obviously no one in the room, obviously. But, but the, the reality is, I'm serious about that. I'm not thinking of anybody. I saw some scared faces. There's, there's, the reality is, is that if, if someone's character suffers, they can hear from God still because the gifts of God are not based on your maturity. They're gifts. I give my child a gift, has nothing to do with earning it or maturity. I mean, sometimes I say you have to earn it, and I, I tell them the difference between me and God. We're not the same sometimes. So, but the reality is from the gifts of God, they are free. But character and maturity will ruin a gift. And so we have to realize as a body, we have to go after it with the same heart. And so we've got questions about the prophetic that are really valid. And maybe these aren't you, but there are certainly people in the room and there are certainly people in our city that have these questions. Is prophecy really something that we should go after today? 
I mean, I understand that it happened in Scripture, but, but to what degree are we really supposed to do it now? Wasn't that just for the apostles or for the super spiritual? Uh, and so ultimately, is that really something I'm supposed to do? Or to what degree is every single person that follows Jesus allowed or invited to be part of that? Some of you, again, this is, you, you've heard this a million different times. But I guarantee you, I've been so stirred this week. I am not walking with the conviction that I carry the voice of God. Allow the foundations again. Allow these whatever you want to call these principles to stir you up again. Let them stir you up again. Let them convict you that you've got access to the living God. Are you keeping it for yourself or not even keeping it for yourself? Are you doing anything with the reality that he speaks? So is it valid today? Who can do it? Who can take part? How does he do it? How do we actually know it's him? And what about prophecies that come, don't come to pass? And what about stuff that's not 100% accurate? And is it okay to ask God for dreams and visions and words and all that stuff? I don't, I don't, sometimes that just feels weird. I'm not covering all that today, by the way. I'm just acknowledging that we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that in, these, in this group. And we're going to get into that somewhat on Sunday. But I want to acknowledge these are valid questions. And if you have these questions, do not be part of this family without bringing those questions and that wrestling and those doubts to the surface. This is a place where we welcome it, we want it, we desire it, and in fact, we need it. Don't assume that everyone else is thinking differently than you or the same as you. If you've got a question, if you've got an issue, it has to be brought to the surface. And we have to be able to do that in the context of safe family. And so ultimately, we're asking the question, overarching questions this series. What does a prophetic people look like? What is it and why? Why are we going after this? Those are the overarching questions. Ultimately, what is prophecy? 1 Corinthians 14, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I could dive into that for a half an hour, but I will say it's at least, earnestly desire is at least hunger and go after more than everything else that you're going after with what God's made available. This, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to man but to God. Paul is speaking in the context that the people in Corinth were, were really enjoying their newfound spiritual gifts, especially these foreign tongues. And they were showing off left and right. And it was really obnoxious to Paul when he was trying to worship Jesus. So he didn't say stop doing it. He said, hey, you guys, I think you're super special because you speak in tongues. <sighs> Let me give you some parameters. Go after prophecy. He doesn't say stop doing this, and a lot of our church cultures have done that. Oh, we don't do tongues, or we don't do this, or we don't do that. We go after love, and then we just don't have to do anything else that Paul talked about or Jesus talked about. That's not accurate, and we're, we're going to go after it. But we're going to go after it in a way that isn't superficial, that isn't about me. It's not about my gift. It's about his gifts that I can potentially humbly take. Bless those around me that are desperate for courage, strength, comfort. And he says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. And on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Three things, for strength, for encouragement, and for comfort. Prophecy in its most basic form is speaking in order to strengthen, comfort, and encourage. It's not just human encouragement. Anyone can give encouragement. We were wired to give encouragement. The difference between human encouragement and prophetic encouragement is that it's speaking with some kind of divine breath. You're getting some unction in your spirit that I feel like God is this. Or you're seeing a gap in their life and going, I know God. I know his word. I know his promises. And I want to speak that over somebody. You don't always have to go like, oh, I heard this audible voice. Or, oh, like, I'm, I just like, I can't sit still. I know I'm supposed to share this. If you, if you just saturate yourself with what God has already said, you will see opportunities to bring strength, encouragement, and comfort to people. And you will just be able to say the things that God has already spoken. Uh, during the, the middle of the 20th century, there were um, a lot of abuses in the prophetic realm. And so a lot of churches just kind of put it on the back burner. And I, almost, I have heard some people even say that they believe the Holy Spirit put things on the back burner because so much, especially in America, abused this gift. 
And so that what might have been flourishing in churches uh, in the beginning of the 1900s really started suffering um, or, or couldn't function in the same capacity, potentially. These are the ways of the Spirit. There's no way to know for sure. But there are many that look at church history and say, we, we, see, we think that potentially the Holy Spirit is like, I'm pulling back a bit because of the abuses. Maybe. It's possible. But ultimately, one of the things that they, that they have observed is that those that reintegrated the prophetic into the church did so by infusing thousands and thousands of promises from the Holy Scriptures, from the ancient words of what God has already said, and using that to be the prophetic edge to prayer over somebody. And it restored the prophetic gift. God's own voice restored how his voice had been manipulated and abused. And one of those prophetic voices, um, just in somewhat recent history, a guy named, by the name of Dick Mills, he passed away um, a few years ago, but Sue and I got to actually um, interact with him when he was in his mid-80s. I think he died just a couple years later. And he still really only operated. He was actually, people would call him a prophet. Um, but what was so unique about his gift is he only gave people scriptures. It's the only thing he did. I wrote them all down. I couldn't find the journal on short notice. I went on to read some of them. You probably have it at your disposal. Oh, he said one thing that wasn't scriptural, and that was that you were the best thing that ever happened to me. Yes, that's true. It's funny. Who remembers to bring that up? All the time when I tell that story. So I am corrected. He didn't only use scripture. He used scripture and... That word about my wife. I can attest that it's true. It's a true word. He's not a false prophet. All right. So in its most basic form, it's to strengthen, encourage, and to comfort others. So prophecy is to hear from God and to speak to men. That's ultimately what it is. Therefore, it's an element of our prayer life. We were meant to live in the constant awareness of answered prayer. Prayer is only boring if you're the only one talking. Many have safely attempted to whittle down prophecy just to preaching God's word. And I do think that there is a certain element of a prophetic edge that comes with the preaching of God's word because you are studying the scripture, trying to tap into God's voice, and then you're giving it to people. But at the same time, that is not the fullness of what the scriptures talk about, what Jesus talked about, what Paul talked about, and what we see is at our disposal. The purpose. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14 again, if you, if you close out that passage in verse 24 it says but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters he's convicted so there's conviction by all he's called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you that is Paul's argument of why you should go after hungering over prophecy over every other gift that's made available for this. Not for you, but for those of your city. That when they encounter your prayers, five things. Conviction. They're convicted. Self-revelation. The secrets of their hearts are disclosed. Surrender. Falling on their face. Worship. And declare. Witness. To the world around them. Conviction, self-revelation, surrender, worship, witness. That's why you go after the prophetic. And yes, it can be super encouraging to yourself, to those in the body, into the family. But ultimately, this is about the voice that we have to the city around us. Is that when we pray, we actually engage with the living God. And that his voice transforms. So the goal, what we're not doing, is that when someone gets up front, we get people up front that give encouraging words and, and to build up the entire church with something. Maybe, maybe that's just giving a sense of God's heart, which is obviously an amazing and valid expression of all this. But it's not the goal of what we're doing. What we're, what we're not doing is setting a goal where we just want everybody to be able to stand up in front of a bunch of people and give some unbelievable word. That's not the goal. The goal and what we are doing 
is embracing the fact that every single follower of Jesus hungers after this, asks for more of this, to recognize and interpret specific revelation from the Father for the purpose of encouraging, building up, and comforting individual human beings. Paul's example was not stand up in front of the courts of Athens or Rome and be able to declare like I have and thousands be saved. He goes, so that one walks in and you pray over them. And the immediate response is that they realize that God is there. And that that kindness leads them to conviction. That, they, that, the, that the parts of their heart that no one would know is revealed. That God sees them, that knows them. And they would surrender their life to him and worship him with all that they have. And then they would go out and tell people what just happened. And he gives the example of one person. He could give examples of crowds. He could give examples of stadiums that he's filled. But as he teaches on this, he brings it down to one. And each of us, not that I see egos, but if we can just covenant to erase any egos, erase any dynamics or goals that go to like some big, heady, massive spaces, and we're just my goal, that I would be the kind of person that when I meet somebody else, I can simply invite the voice of the Father to meet them like he's met me. That's it. So that's the goal. Start with people. He always starts with one. And there's a challenge for those who have walked in this gift more in previous seasons. I've had seasons in my life where it was just like every day I had a story. I think some of you are the same. Many of you not. Many of you this is new. But some of you it's just like I, you could probably stand up and tell more stories than I could. And, and, and maybe you're in a season where it kind of feels dry, where you kind of still, like, I, I, I've got all these stories, but right now I'm like, I don't even feel close to God. And maybe you're wrestling with questions like I have. Is this because like, I'm lazy? Is this because I've done something wrong? Is this because God's angry at me? And, and I, think, I think ultimately there's a fog sometimes. And I think we've been in an extended season of, of, of a fog. Even our, our access, many of us, to, to other human beings has been, has been limited. And we have to get back to remembering what we have access to. Maybe you're lazy. <laughs> I think there is a bit of laziness in me. Sometimes for me, it's like, well, someone else doing it, or, or I don't see an obvious opportunity, or, you know, God didn't knock me off my chair to tell me that, so it's probably something I ate if I'm stirred to share something or feeling something. I ask you to consider this humbly. If this is even the slightest bit true, that this is an aspect of how God speaks and invites us to hunger after, is it not the most utter sign of selfishness to not press into this? If this might be a true invitation for God's people, it's not just selfish, but it's not possible for the church to be the church. And what you see in the church, every single one of us, if I sat down and go, when you look at the church of America, what are its issues? Not one of you are going to have a hard time writing a bulleted list that fills up a page or two or five or ten. If the voice of the Father could influence in any way, shape, and form, or if the word of God would invite us to one thing to go after. I wonder what that might be. This. Therefore, I think humbly, myself included, am I being selfish, lazy, scared, nervous, don't want to step into an awkward situation or a season? And I don't say that like, I'm not going to force anything to you. Me. This is an invitation to being the kind of people and if we step into this, could we start to potentially see the kind of church that we read about? The kind of church where people are in awe and none dares join them lightly, that it says in the book of Acts. Because they see the holiness of God. The voice of God is there and people know it. It's impossible if we start to press into this, that this won't seep out 
in even more ways than it already is. This is already seeping up. This is already affecting the way that we do our work, the way that we, we write, the way that we do our contracts, the way that we interact with neighbors, the way that we raise our kids, the way that we go to schools, the way that we teach. It, it, it does already. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying every single one of you, if you're thinking about what's available and we see a standard in God's word for something, we know we haven't gotten there. In other words, what is it in my own life that's keeping me from more? And I think there's a part of it that's like I don't realize, I didn't even realize I'm being selfish. I didn't even realize that I could start with, you're super loved, big guy. I started getting convicted from a random guy that I don't even know what he looks like. I just think he drives a pickup. I just invite you for that same kind of conviction. Start with one. Paul actually gives nine spiritual gifts uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. Three of them are what we call revelatory. Word of knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. And I want to talk briefly about those, and then I want to land. So word of knowledge. You guys might be familiar with that, but what is it? It's a fact about a person, place, event not obtained by natural means. A word of knowledge. And I'm saying this to just start to give you tidbits of what the prophetic is and how it works and where it actually is in God's word. And then I want that to stir us up, to egg us on, and to invite us into pressing into more. A fact about a person, place, or event not obtained by natural means. It could include a name, getting a name and occupation, a birthplace, details about past history. Uh, when my brother moved here, um, many of you not know Sean Bowles. He's a very well-known um, kind of prophetic voice. And, and he was at a conference, and he got a specific word over a pastor named Tommy. My brother's name is Tommy. He's a pastor from North Carolina. And then I, he got like one other thing. I couldn't remember what it was. My brother wasn't there, but he had several friends that were immediately called my brother. And, and then he started to, to, to pray over my brother. The word of knowledge actually didn't do anything for him, though. That was just information to kind of find a target, right? So, so a word of knowledge is a fact about a person, place, or event. It generally has no directional guidance, just information. So in John 4, 16, we see Jesus um, with, uh, with, with the woman at the well, right? And he says, go call your husband. Tell him to come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> so they both got a word of knowledge. Uh, his just actually took information that he shouldn't have known. Hers was right in front of her. She realized, oh, perception, discernment, wisdom. <laughs> Jesus, there's no way for him to know. He'd never been there, at least in his ministry. He certainly wouldn't. Know. He's not even supposed to interact with women at the well. So he's overstepping. In fact, it shows the gift of the Holy Spirit because not only, it, it, there's no way for him to have found it out because he's never even supposed to interact with this, this, this uh, woman. And what does it show us? Well, it, it shows us something about the heart of God. The result is that the entire town has an encounter because of one word to this woman who wasn't supposed to be talked to by Jesus. At the end of that passage, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but for we have heard it for ourselves, and we all know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So the takeaway here is what? Do you realize the power of one word with God's breath on it? One word. Now, I also understand that maybe some of you are going like, well, that's Jesus. What about me? All of this is wrapped up in the conviction that Jesus did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. If that is true, where he is coming to earth, yes, as a, as a perfect human being, as God's son, but it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him and it led him, and that everything he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he breathed on his disciples before he, he went back to be with the Father. And he said, receive the same Holy Spirit. And he's inviting them into the same way of life by the same Holy Spirit. And the conviction is, if we have the same access, Jesus becomes not just the Savior of the world, but our standard to walk with the Holy Spirit. If that is true, then everything Jesus did doesn't just become impressive, 
and doesn't only prove that he is who he says he was, it becomes an invitation to a way of life. Do you realize the power of one word with God's breath on it? Secondly, wisdom. Words of knowledge and then wisdom. Wisdom is a divine revelation of the will, plan, or purpose of God for a specific situation. It is more directional than a word of knowledge because it has insight on what someone should do in a situation. It may not be as dramatic, though, as a word of knowledge. It's really impressive to to get someone's name, Tommy from North Carolina, and blah, 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 blah. Very impressive. But that, that cannot operate without some kind of wisdom of why the heck is God giving me this information. So we can, what's always funny to me is that the things that are really impressive in the kingdom are usually the least important. And it works that way even within one gift, like prophecy. What's the most impressive thing you could do? Stand up in front of a bunch of people and give information that you shouldn't know, right? It's the least important aspect of the entire prophetic process. It's valid. Super cool. I like it. Least important. Because what the flip am I going to do with an address or an area code or a name? I need breakthrough in some area. I need comfort, strengthening, encouragement. It's incomplete with just being impressive. So how does this work? Another example, Acts 27. Paul, Paul is sailing on a ship, and God gives him and says in verse 10 an impression that the voyage shouldn't take place as there would be difficulty. And the ship does have difficulty. There's a huge storm. Paul has this angelic visitation while on the boat, and he's promised protection for everyone on board. Then, when the storm comes, they start to kind of have a lifeboat and are going to move off the ship. And Paul uses wisdom and says, ah, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you should stay on the boat. The Lord didn't say you have to stay on the boat. He's not just obeying instructions. He's using wisdom to say, like, I had an encounter with God, and there is some, some protection in his presence right here. I think it's a bad idea that you go out there, even though that looks like safety. And they were all saved. Everyone is saved. Now, that to me, that example, it's a biblical example. It's good. But I don't think it's always that helpful. I've never been on a boat and had an angelic visitation to expose the gift of wisdom in the prophetic. So, what could this look like in just a much more practical way? Well, how about this? I, I just had a sense while I was praying for you that, that maybe you weren't supposed to take the opportunity that's in front of you this week. Just an impression. I also said it in a, in a sense of like, I don't know. I didn't get a word of knowledge from God. I didn't see a sign. I just get this sense in my spirit that you might have an opportunity this week that you might, it might look good and maybe you shouldn't take it. That's just a, an impression and a word of wisdom for someone. And they can flesh that out, right? That's very practical, very useful. And that's going to happen a lot more often than getting stuck on a ship and having angels visit you. So let me just say, don't go after the impressive, and yet God will do the impressive. We will have these stories. If we commit to the daily walk of filling ourselves with his voice and allowing ourselves to stop for one at a time. Takeaway from wisdom. Don't go after impressive words. Wisdom is what's needed. Three, discernment, and the final one. The ability to distinguish between different spirits and anointings. Many think it's just the ability to tell if someone has like some kind of demonic possession or problem. I, I feel like that was kind of accidentally taught to me or that was the impression that I got when I was younger. Discernment just being like, I can discern whether there's a demon on that person. And, and the reality is, is like, congratulations. That's usually not very hard. <laughs> Especially in L.A. Um, and that, that may be an aspect of it, but it's not the full expression. It can identify spiritual gifts. This is discernment, the gift of discernment. It can identify gifts, callings, or it can function like a word of knowledge and healing. It can identify uh, angelic activity. Picking up on, like, I feel like the Lord has sent angels around. I, again, I don't see angels. I've, I've seen a couple of them, like, in dreams. Uh, but, but even last week, um, Sonia gave a word, and she, she has a, a bit of a, what we would call, like, a seer type of gift. And every now and then, if she, like, grabs my, my arm, I, she's moved to Texas now and was just back for a season. But, but I would always, I would get to know the people. Not just anybody comes up and says, like, oh, I see this or that. I, I need relationship. 
And, and in the relationship, I know this person sees things of God. And she hesitates before she says something. And so if she wants to share it, I go, okay, there's something on this. And it's not always up front. Uh, it, might, it might be a text. It might be like just over a meal or something with somebody. But, but she even shared that last week. And it, and it was an invitation not to be like impressive, hey, I see things. It was, it was like I feel that there is a stirring for God to invite us into this point of ministry, right? And so that is a biblical thing. We see that in Scripture. But discernment isn't just that. It is all these things. It's, this, this can feel very natural, the gift of discernment. Um, and the gift of wisdom and the gift of discernment need each other. So you need to be accountable to somebody else when you process these things, especially intense things. My, my wife operates with discernment very, very well. But you know what the funny thing is about discernment? Um, discernment can be like something's fishy here, and, and it might be a little fishy. But like how many of you like the smell of fish? right? Like, it, it can be, like, offensive. To some of you, it's more offensive than others. It's highly offensive to her, right? Something smells fishy, so she will freak out if she smells fishiness. I'm talking about real fish, people. Like, if she smells fish, it's, like, done. No. Like, just throw it out. I don't care if you bought it five minutes ago. Out. Get it out of my, get it out of my face. And her discernment gift in the spirit operates the same way. If it's just a little bit off, it's, like, pfft. That person is maybe demonic or something like that. I'm overstating it for this reason. What do you need in that situation if something's a little off? You need wisdom on how to navigate that, right? So, so the gifts are, and, the, and the people with more pronounced gifts than others, this can be a process. And so it's why when we're praying for someone, we're not saying like a, a constant, thus saith the Lord all the time. What we're doing is saying, the scripture says, we all prophesy, meaning we pick up on the language of God in part. So that when I'm praying for someone, I'm constantly, humbly giving them what I am sensing, and I am delivering it that way. I'm sensing this. I'm feeling this. You might want to explore this. Why? Because this is partial, and I am hugely flawed, and I am more pronounced to see certain things a certain way than somebody else. And hey, maybe you should get a different perspective on this dynamic. And if I'm sensing one thing really strongly that's super significant, I might not even say it, and I might bring somebody else in that I know is going to maybe balance me out a bit, which is, again, why you start with the one, you start with you and God, but this is a family project. It's a family project. We have to go at this together. We have to lean into this together. We have to take risks together. We have to practice together. We have to invite the Holy Spirit together. So, again, in Acts 16, Paul has this young girl who seemingly spoke the truth, it says. And it says about this, this girl, it says, She followed Paul, again, Acts 16, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Which sounds like a pretty good statement. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed at this girl, turned and said to the Spirit, Notice, he didn't say this to the girl. He says it to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So what was she doing? She was using truth to disrupt and to deflect focus. Potentially because that allowed her to stay longer and to be a distraction longer. If she would have been speaking lies, they probably would have taken care of her right away. But she was speaking truth. You can say the right thing with the wrong spirit. If we become the people that can discern where something is coming from, oftentimes the right words and truth are coming from the wrong spirit. That is the gift of discernment at its best. And it will likely not be as easy as come out of that girl. Sometimes, maybe. Other times it might be, ah, oh, this is a broken person that's part of maybe our community. And it's like, I know that they have the, they're, they're trying for the right heart, but something is a little fishy here. How do we pastor this well? That's the stuff we have to walk in. That's also the biblical stuff, but it's not as cut and dry. It's not just go through the list and now we got discernment out of the way and now we're trained and ready to go. This stuff takes a lifestyle of pressing in, of how do we mature and grow in character and power. And this invites all of us in to take part. So one other little example. Um, 
that Steve Thompson gives in his, in his work. He, he talked about how there was a friend that had a really serious infection. And so a group of them were, were praying for this friend. The doctors couldn't pinpoint the location. And, and the, they were treating it generally, but they weren't getting the, the, what they needed medically because they couldn't find where the infection was. So as they were praying, uh, one of the people had a sensation, I forget where it was, um, in their body and felt like, I think this might be where the infection is because this, isn't the, this, this sensation I'm getting wasn't there before. And, and they, they, they bring it to the doctor that afternoon, and they found out on a CAT scan that's exactly where it was, which does a couple things. Um, I don't even know if the CAT scan would have found it already. What, what it does, though, is, is it, it brings God's voice into the equation. We went to God in the midst of it while we went to doctors, and we say, God, where do you want to bring your breath into this situation? And how, how many of you know it's impossible to spend the rest of that issue, that physical issue, without knowing that God is with you and he's for you and that his heart is for healing, regardless of what happens. And so in the midst of that, I want us to, to, to invite ourselves into this process. That first weekend where I, where I got all misty-eyed from that old lady, I immediately opened my, my, my spiritual senses to maybe I can actually hear, maybe these things that just pass through my, my head are, are not just me. Or maybe I can just sit and wait in silence. Maybe that's a legitimate part of prayer. And so I was immediately given access to pray for, for girl. Sue and I were praying for this girl. And, and she kept, she was talking about this pain. And the pain kept moving as we were praying for it. And, and as that happened, I remembered another, another friend of mine from previous years before that had a very similar dynamic. And I was just sitting there. We didn't know what else to pray. We were just kind of pausing, and we are processing, and we are asking the Lord. And I felt like, oh, that's a really similar dynamic that this friend that I had before had that I never figured out what it was. And then in one moment I go, oh, I wonder if they have the same issue. And when I say I wonder, I then realized I think the Holy Spirit is giving me this thought. And the thought was I started putting together what this previous friend's biggest trauma was. Her father had cheated on her mom and had a family, like a separate family, and just absolute betrayal. And I go, I wonder if that released kind of a traumatic spirit situation that's causing this pain. Because the way she described it was the same exact pain of this friend. I never thought this previous friend was having something like that until this moment. And then so I gently, because this is super controversial, you get this wrong, you can ruin somebody's life, right? So what I did not do was saying, you've got a demonic spirit that's coming from someone cheating on you, or something like that. I never even crossed my mind to do that. I go, oh, do I even say this out loud? That's a good question. Every time you sense something, the first question should be, should I, sh should I say this out loud? What is this going to sound like as it comes off of my lips? Um, this dear woman is, is no longer... Um, uh, uh, with us. So I, I say this in absolute grace. Um, and she was here for a couple years and she actually passed away from, from cancer. Um, but she was learning to prophesy. And at one point she gave a word to someone in the church when we were just like a year in. And, and the word, she, go, she comes to us, she goes, this person keeps running away. I'm trying to give them a word. And I'm like, what, what is it? <laughs> I felt like God said, if he didn't get rid of the sin in his life, God's going to take his, his pregnant wife's baby. So um, I tried to keep a straight face. Um, and, and I immediately uh, said, come here, please. And we had a very long chat. I don't know how church ended that day. <laughs> um, but there, there, there was some very long, stern conversations around that. Ironically, this person that she was trying to give the word to, just saw her come and goes, and the Lord told me to run. <laughs> he never received the word, and he never will. And thankfully, we avoided a potentially very horrific thing. Now, she to give that word, she would have had to violate every rule that we have ever taught on this subject. But as soon as you make the environment for people to be able to pray for somebody else, really, you, you open the door for someone to completely abuse that. And this was someone that actually had a pure heart. She had picked up on, on the prophetic way late in life, and, and she was trying. <sighs> Messes. 
there's a risk attached to this. You'd have to violate what Scripture says and the boundaries put in place, but it's still a risk that heavy things can happen. And I say that to say, we have to enter into this going, I believe if we can also become the kind of people where if someone gives me that, if someone told me that while my wife was pregnant, that it wouldn't cause me one minute of lost sleep because I know that's not my father's voice. The Lord would never say something like that. So someone can prophesy that all they want over me. It's not going to make one impact on my family. Now that may be easier said than done for you. And as a pastor... I don't even know how I would process that, finding out that that ever happened in a family that I had any responsibility for. But the point is, is that God protects you on either side. He says, don't do it this way. And if something like that happens, remember my voice. Remember what I'm like. And when you know what he's like, there can be all kinds of messes in between. And there can still be safety. There can still be trust. There can still be invitation to encounter the living God and his language. And so, I feel like I was in the middle of a different story that I didn't finish. What was that story? Did I finish both of them? Maybe I did. Okay. Good enough. Maybe I'm done then. So, how many, we can misuse this gift of discernment. But I want us to take away this. Discernment and wisdom are meant to be used together. Use them together. The Bible invites us in, and there's ultimately three components every time the prophetic is being used. Revelation, interpretation, and application. And I'm closing with this. In Revelation, every prophetic word has some level of information that we've received with God without knowing it previously. We couldn't have known it without him revealing it. It can be a dream, a vision, or just an impression or an internal knowing. But in short, what do you see, hear, or receive? That's all we're trying to tap into as we're praying with God. Secondly, interpretation. What is God saying? What does this mean? It's the understanding that God gives about the revelation. I see a picture of a wall. If I'm praying for someone and I see a picture of a wall, that doesn't do anything without an interpretation. Who cares about your wall? Who cares about your area code? Who cares about what state you're from? If you can't do something with it. So you have to have an interpretation. And then finally, an application. Understanding how we use it. How we use the interpretation. What do we do with this? That's the basic question. And often application is not the job of the person giving the prophetic word or praying for someone. It's receiving the word with responsibility to figure out what to do with it. This is the safety net. People prophesy in part. The one receiving the word weighs it up with the Lord, receives the encouragement, flushes everything that does not resonate with the voice of the Father. And it allows a safe place. If you're unsure, just ask God for a confirmation. Ask for accountability. Ask for input. Ask for the safety of friends that you trust. Ask for the family to come in. We aren't talking about, again, this isn't about all of us becoming prophets. This is about building a culture of people that hear God's voice and love the world with his breath. Would you stand and would worship team come up?